Welcome back to the Roster Watch Podcast. I am Alex Dunlap, and today I'm joined by a great friend of ours at Roster Watch and a great friend of mine personally. His name is Teron Davenport. He's currently the uh, NFL Nation team reporter for ESPN covering the Tennessee Titans. I have known Teron since, uh, you know, we, we get into it a, a lot on the podcast, but I've known Teron for the better part of the of the decade. He used to write for... Um, he used to write for the Eagles Wire, which was owned by the USA Today Sports Media Group. Uh, also covered the Baltimore Ravens for the Baltimore Times and the San Francisco 49ers for Bay Sports Net prior to that. Um, he has written now four books. He wrote two with our good friend Emery Hunt at Football Game Plan. Those books were called Football, a Love Story, and What Did Football Teach Me? He also wrote a Carson Wentz uh, sort of uh, biography, or I guess sort of story of that um, story of his rookie season there with Carson Wentz soaring with the Eagles. And coming out right now, he has his new book, A Team Makes a Miracle, which is the story of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles championship season. You can get all you can get the uh, those last two books, the Carson Wentz and A Team Makes a Miracle. Uh, both of those books available anywhere you buy books, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, et cetera. You can get the two books, Football, A Love Story and What Did Football Teach Me? Uh, at footballgameplan.com. Teron is an awesome dude. We have a great conversation about what it's like to be a media member covering one of these major NFL beats, what, you know, how tough it is to develop sources, um, what it's like to be an author, what that whole thing is like, dealing with publishers, uh, you know, all, dealing with the players, all, all, of the, all that stuff as far as the, you know, the relationships that go into it is a really awesome and... Um, and wide-ranging conversation, and uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Of course, you can find Tehran's work at ESPN. You can also find Tehran on Twitter at tdavenport underscore nfl. And there will be links in the show notes to all of the books if you want to go purchase them. If you want to help out the Roster Watch podcast, the best way to do it is to get a pro membership at rosterwatch.com where you will be able to get extra podcasts from myself, from Byron Lambert, from The Trash Man each week and also access to all of our award-winning tools and content. And we have content going up almost every day during the offseason, stuff to help you win in your best ball leagues. And of course, coming up into the summertime, get a really early start for our fantasy football leagues with the legendary, magical, mystical, mythical cheat sheet. If you do not want to get a pro membership at Roster Watch, but you want to help out the podcast and you've been enjoying this uh, volume of pods we've been getting out, please uh, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you listen. Give us a five-star rating and review. I see you guys doing it. I appreciate it. We need that to happen to keep the podcast going. Rate, review, subscribe. It takes two seconds, and it means the world to us. With that being said, I bring you now my conversation with my boy, Teron Davenport. This is Carson Wentz, and you're listening to Roster Watch.
All right, so you heard it in the intro. We got him here on the podcast, a great friend of Roster Watch Nation, a dude who uh, we've been friends with. Damn, man, it's starting to feel like a decade now. We've been seeing each other at these events and kind of you know hanging out and trading information back and forth. He is Teron Davenport of ESPN Nation covering the Tennessee Titans. Teron, what the hell's going on, brother? Hey, man, what's up, man? I appreciate it. It's definitely good to... To talk to you. Yeah, we go back, man. You know, even talking about Stefan Diggs and <laughs> even going further back than that, man. So it's it's great to to jump on here, man. Thanks for having me. Well, all right. So in a lot of people probably don't probably don't know that you man, you're a you have a you have a whole lot of enterprises going on. And I want to talk to you about about the books that you've written and sort of the whole publishing world because that's something I've that's something that I've thought about and I think a lot of media types sort of think about, man, we have these really cool experiences. And you know, the fact that we're kind of trained to put them into words and stuff like that, but it's just it seemingly it gets kind of uh compartmentalized into these stories or these breakdowns after games or these um you know, these, these different types of media that we're kind of sucked into now, as far as where our brain power goes. I, I think a lot of people have thought about, you know, what about making a book, something that will like, you know, stand the test of time and will be, you know, maybe passed on for more and more people to read. And stuff. Let me ask you this. You have your books. Um, you have the Carson, the, the, the Carson Wentz book that you did after his rookie season. You have the one that's coming out right now called uh, called A Team Makes a Miracle about the about the Eagles championship season. And also the couple of books that you uh, self-published with Emory Hunt over there at Football Game Plan. What it, like what is that process like and how is it different from your standard day to day? Yeah, it's really a, a lot of information gathering. When we did the two-part series with Football Game Plan, uh, the first one is called What Did Football Teach Me? And then there's a match book to it called Football, A Love Story. And basically, it's just, man, it's a lot of gathering. And, and with this one, it's it's you're reaching out all across the NFL and even arena football, college football. We have some of the female coaches like Dr. Jan Welter, who who was the oh, the cool. first, uh, you know, the linebacker coach out there in in, in Arizona. Arizona. It's just reaching out to so many people. So I think that was the difference as far as just the extensive research that it takes. Now the the Carson Wentz book, Soaring with the Eagles, that one was just I was able to go back and and look at notes. But then the one thing that was different in, in that one and the team makes a miracle was going to these players and and talking to them and the coaches talking to them one-on-one about specific things for the book. Right. So now you, you you know, you're, when you tell someone that they're going to be featured in a book, Carson, he couldn't believe that I did it. And I I tell you the, uh, the, the Wentz bookstore with the Eagles, that one, it it was the deal came to me, triumph books. They told me they would, they would like to have me write a book and they asked me if I was interested. And I said, yes, of course. But they said the uh, the one condition was that I had to do it in two weeks, you know. So I gave had it to, to him. Finished in two weeks. Yes, yes, and I, I gave it to him in eleven days, and uh, you Holy know, shit. be able to just make it happen. You know what I mean? So it's just just grinding, man, and, and making it work. And Carson couldn't believe it. He he actually didn't think I was going to be able to get it done, and but he was willing to to sit down and and, and talk to me. Uh, a little more than than you normally get, and and the Eagles themselves, you know, the organization, 
was really, uh, you know, open to allow me to have that one-on-one with him with normally you don't get that with the quarterback. So that, that allowed it to happen, man. And, and, and it came out and I, I showed him the book when it came out and he couldn't believe it. You know, he looked at Nate Sudfield and Sudfield looked back at him and he was like, well, is it good? And I said, I said, yeah, man, you, you know, you take your, your job seriously. I take mine seriously too. I take pride in it. And he just started laughing. He was joking with me about it, but you know, uh, I, I just had to, you know, kind of check him. So what, somewhat, you know what I mean? No, yeah, and, and and that's of course when Teron was working. I believe you were the what you managed like the Eagles Wire site during that point of time for the USA Today. So you were was that right. all right? So and you had access to these guys. Um, not not every like blog publisher and manager goes to basically every availability and takes part in every part of the media access the way that you did with the Eagles. And it it really seems like it opened up a whole lot of doors for you there with the relationships you were able to make with those guys. And I, I, I want to talk about that a little bit later, but I, I like triumph books. I'm look, I'm looking, I just looked them up online quickly. And if you just look at like, you know, Wikipedia, it says that they're a Chicago based book publisher, well known for its instant books, such as the, uh, NASCAR, uh, the, the Dale Earnhardt book, which was released 10 days after his death. So I, I think that maybe, you know, whoever came to you, uh, saying they, they need this quick, that could be part Like while the iron's hot about you know Carson Wentz and this Eagles team, is that sort of how how it happened? Yeah, I mean, like I said, they came to me and they said they wanted a book on Wentz. What time of year was this? It was uh, September. It was yeah, it was September. I remember uh, I was leaving. I when I used to do spots on on Philly Sports Talk for NBC Sports Philly. I had just got done a spot. I was leaving the parking lot in my car and. I checked my email, saw it, almost crashed. Man, I was so excited, you know. What I mean? But uh, yeah, it was September. Um, I had the book done, and it was released. Actually, the book came out when we were in LA. When the Eagles, you know, I was in LA covering it. The Eagles, their week of practice, because it went right from Seattle to uh, LA to face the Rams, and it came out the Wednesday before that Sunday game when Carson uh, tore the ACL. So. It was, you know, a little disheartening to to see that happen. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, I had to fight through some some Eddie Mush names being called, you know, from a Bronx tale that the guy, you didn't want anybody to, you didn't want to bet on the horse of Eddie Mush. Oh, like the Madden cover kind of, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. But, uh, you know, it was all good, man. You know, it was all good. And and the book has done well. So um, it was a great part of the, uh, you know, the whole journey that, that has led to this. So how, how did they how did they find you? It's like there's so many people who go, like go a lifetime trying to get a publishing deal, and they just don't. Like how how did they, how did it, that seems like, they seem like a major publisher that's written a, a whole ton of books. I mean, this is stuff like you just see like, look, man, this is where Amy Trask's book you you negotiate like a girl. Like that's a quintessential awesome book. For people who are who are into uh, NFL salary cap management or how things go in front offices, um, it looks like they have like guys like Jeremy Roenick from the Blackhawks. It looks like he has something that uh, something that's out like right now where he's having uh, this week, just this 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 very week, tickets going out for a signing for a book that he's putting out. Like what did you like? Did you have an existing relationship with somebody at this publisher? 
No, no. And I mean, did you ever ask why? Why you, did you contact me? I I, I never asked because <laughs> you know, I didn't need to know Fuck why. It. You know, Fuck I it. I yeah. like to put myself in that same class as those people you mentioned. Right you, there, you, you go. Know what I mean? And for me, it was it wasn't a matter of why did they do it. It was a matter that that they did it, and, and now it's time to capitalize. <laughs> I, love I, yeah, I, love I firmly it. believe, you know. Luck is when when hard work meets opportunity, man. You know that I've no, always been no, one no. to grind, and this was an opportunity. So I said, you know what? We're going to make it happen. And that's what we did. They loved the work. We had a few other projects, you know, in line. I, I had to, you know, back out of one that, that just wasn't going to work. And we had some things in the future we may be able to end up doing. Um, I ended up doing the, the one on uh, the Eagle season, The Team Makes a Miracle. I ended up doing that one with a different publishing company. They also reached out to me and asked me what book, you know, would I be interested in writing a book? And I said, yes. Only reason I did that one is because of release dates. You know, they wanted to push the uh, the Team Makes a Miracle book back a little bit. And I wanted it to come out a little bit sooner. And, you know, it just it, it worked out. I mean, I'm just happy to have those two titles. You know, you can go to BarnesandNoble.com or Amazon.com and get them. And, you know, I'm extremely proud of the the self-published book that, that I did, you know, with Emery and, and, and Brandon Hunt, uh, excuse me, Brandon Howard and, and Gene Clemens and, and, and Chris James, all of which, you know, make up the, the football game plan network. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of those guys and speaking about, you know, like you said, the hustle, the hard work meets opportunity. We met each other at a point in time wherever Roster Watch was still basically – I mean, it's like, I'm, like on this podcast, I like we're truthful about like, I mean, talk to, to kind of talk about how the sausage gets made. It's like we met each other at a point in time where I don't even know if we were on serious yet. We might have still been local, like here in Austin, like just had just gotten our show syndicated from like ESPN Austin radio to that down in San Antonio and up in like the Waco area where we were kind of up and down I-35, the I-35 corridor here in Texas before we got contacted by Sirius XM. And during that point in time, Teron, would you believe that we actually had to pay to be on the radio? We had to pay. Like it's called, it's called brokered time. It's just crazy, man. Like the, it's the same thing that they give to um, the same thing that they give to like these gamblers that say, you know, call in for our five star fucking lock of the week. You know, uh, just dial this yeah. toll free number and you'll be like those guys pay for stuff like that, and they even want us as local guys to pay for our time, and so we did, and we met you guys. Uh, there at the combine, it, I, I forget. I mean, probably what eight years ago, nine years ago, and we were in that mode. We had paid for our tickets to the combine. We, you know, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to afford to fly or whether we needed to drive up there, staying at just shitty hotels, like you know, mm-hmm. being up there, like having to really grind this goddamn thing. And you meet guys like Bill Carroll and you and uh, Brandon Howard, Emory Hunt. These guys, you could tell, man. It's like not to say that we like. We were all just kind of bootstrapping it at the time, and I I, I remember yeah. like you and Brandon. I would talk to you all, and I don't even re- remember the name of the company you were working for. I don't even want to bring up bring up their name, but like at that point in time, you guys were even like they're working your ass off at the combine, um, and you said like I don't even know if I'm going to get paid for this article that I'm going to write. Like let's just go to Ram and have beers. <laughs> it's like how do you yeah. go like how do you go from that? So, you know, your your next was your next step sort of after that? Was it with the USA Today sports media group with the Eagles wire? Like what was the what was the the um, 
what has been the sort of the the ascension for you? Because it seems like once you kind of got there with the Eagles, it's been pretty rapid up, you know, upward. Yeah, well, really, it just goes back to just what you said about being willing to sacrifice your own money, being willing to sacrifice your time. And and for me, you know, I, I grew up a 49ers fan. I always liked the 49ers. And I, I tell you a crazy story, man. I saw Bleacher Report sell for $30 million. And, you know, at the time, they didn't really have any accomplished, art, uh, you know, authors or anything like that. So I, I told myself, I said, if these guys could could do this and get 30 million i could do this and 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 get money too you know so i taught myself how to how to create a website you know i figured out how to do it on front page and i created my own website it was called uh, press cover sports and i was writing about the 49ers i had friends writing about the cowboys the falcons and the steelers and i would go to games you know as a 49er fan i used to go from uh you know coast to coast and go to uh, 10 to, to 12 games a year you know, we're talking in, in San Francisco as well as in, you know, various places. You know, Cincinnati when they played, you know, the the, the AFC North and Baltimore and those teams. and Not it, as credential media, but just as a, like, as a paying just, customer that bought a ticket and got popcorn it, and stuff. I had I had season tickets, man, at Candlestick. Oh, okay, okay. Section <laughs> okay, LB38, row five, seats four and five, man. <laughs> I, had to, I still remember it, you, you yeah, know. I bet, I bet. And, um. I just, you know, was able to, to parlay that into an opportunity. What ended up happening, I did an article on Kaepernick uh, after he had his first start against the Bears, and it was a good breakdown talking about moving and, and cutting the field in half and, and making the reads for him and taking advantage of, of his his ability. And I was also doing football camps for different athletes in the league. I wanted to do one for Kaepernick, and, uh, you know, I connected with his agents. His agent showed him the article. He liked it. I went on Facebook and then, you know, different things opened up from there. I started to be credentialed instead of going there as a fan. I was going there as a media person, you know, and I'm, I'm in the press box at Candlestick Park. You know what I mean? Uh, covering the game and, and in, the, in the locker room afterwards and all that. And then I, I said, you know what? I could really take this to the next level. But I'm known as a 49er fan. So I need to, you know, prove that that I could write about a different team and cover a different team uh, and be objective. So then I had the choice. I said, you know what? I could either do Baltimore or, or Philly because where I lived at the time, hour and 20 minutes uh, south, uh, I'm at Owens Mills, the Ravens facility, right. about 35 minutes uh, uh, north. You know, I'm at the Eagles facility right there at the, you know, Novacare complex. I decided to do the Ravens. I sent information and, and samples of, of work to every single uh, outlet in that area. One responded and, you know, they were paying me per article. They let me do one article. They would pay me for one article per week. I was doing six to seven per week, right? And right, it, yeah. you know, just, just making that thing happen. I was credentialed to do Ravens games. You know, then I said, you know what? I could do better. And, the, you know, I started to do some draft work for when Connor Hughes opened up the Jets wire with, with USA Today. Sure. He asked me to do draft stuff. I did that. And, uh, you know, that was right around the time where, where we have, have really started to, you know, deal with, interact with each other, you know, on the media side of things. In addition to, you know, I just being homies, you know, just talking shop. And um, next thing you know, they, they said they wanted to open up a, an Eagle site. And they asked me if I'd be interested. And I said, darn right. And, uh, you know, once that Eagles thing opened up, it, it just really just things just started to happen. I remember training camp, Barrett Brooks, 
he he gave me the chance to uh, jump on Philly uh, Sports Talk, a training training camp cover show he was doing, and uh, you know he he was like, "What do you want to talk about?" I told him, I said, "Big fella, I talk about whatever you want to talk about. You want to go O line? We we'll talk about O line. We we'll talk receivers. It, it doesn't matter, man. Whatever you talk about, you just throw it up there. I'm a dunk it. That's exactly what I told him. And he he you know we had we had a great session. At the time, it was uh, CSN Philly. They've now ch- changed to NBC Sports Philly, but they were like, yo, we want you on our show once a week. That opened up and just between the TV coverage and then just, you, you know, the, the Internet coverage and then doing radio, doing podcasting, because uh, that's another thing. I, I figured out how to record my own podcast. You know, I bought the mixing desk, the mic and everything. I looped all that together and I, you know, learned how to sample and, you know, put all that together. So I had a Ravens podcast. Then, you know, once I, I was able to, to start doing the Philly Eagles stuff, I was able to connect with um, with, with WIP, and we had a podcast, Barrett and I, and it just really just blew up. And then when the Super Bowl, when that season happened, you know, that just put gas on the, on the fire, and it really just made it into an explosion. And I remember I got an email from one of the ESPN um, uh, people, you know, that was, was searching for a replacement or searching for somebody, you know, to either come here in Nashville or Miami, and they asked if I'd be interested. I said, darn right, you know, and went up there, you know, went through, I went through two interviews on the phone and then they, they liked me enough to have me fly up there. So I flew up there, went to what they call the car wash, which is just an extensive interview process all day, knocked that thing out the box. And, you know, a month and a half later, they're telling me that, that I got the job and, you know, it just, it's, it's been hard work. It's been prayer, you know, and having the support of my wife, you know what I mean? And my daughter's behind me and, you know, colleagues like yourself and everyone else. Like, it, it's a really good network because we always big each other up, you know what I mean? And that's what's really cool about, you know, all of our rises. So that's pretty much my story, man. That's how it worked. And, and that's why, you know, you're going to have to kill me to take it from me. You, you know what I mean? Because of all the work that went into getting to this point, you know what I mean? So that's why it's cherished so much. And that's why it's never difficult to, to work from morning till night. Because we love what we do and we fought hard to get to where we are. And people just don't understand that, like, they're like, your job must be so easy and and fun. And, like, uh, and to be honest, I look at it and I say, you know what? When I'm working and stuff, it it does feel easy and fun. Now, when you look down at the clock and you realize it's 11 at night, you still have this shit to mix, you still have more to, you know, it doesn't feel quite as easy, but it's always fun because what are we doing? We're just talking about football or we're talking about the industry, we're talking with our friends. And it's like, I, I love that you mentioned that, you know, it's like, on this podcast, you know, the people we have on here, the people that like that are our people that we came up with. It's like I think every generation of sports media, regardless of sort of, you know, what sport you cover, I think there are people that you sort of find that are, you know, within your niche and you got to grow up with them. And then for us, you know, for us, we've made friends with the dudes that were the agents right who were trying to hustle to get you know players at the senior bowl and the shrine game we were there trying to cover at the same time we were trying to hustle to be able to get radio deals and all this stuff and like you kind of make friends with these guys and it's kind of like you don't even need an understanding or or it, like it's like it just goes without saying that sort of as everybody comes up in the industry we're like like we're, we're kind of a crew right and it's like we're kind of a crew we and we roll together and we and we um and we do everything we we can to pop, you know to kind of prop the other guys up so 
Definitely been so excited to see your rise there to, um, to you know, base, man, it's, it's kind of like what they say. It's like those NFL nation, those reporting jobs. It's like, you know, when head coaches get a, a job opportunity, you know, they say no matter what the team is, they say, man, there are 32 of these jobs. I like, I need to take that job. You know, there's only 32 of them, and, and, and you've managed to snap, to you know, snap up there and take one with a worldwide leader in sports. It's just, it's been, it's been unbelievable. And sort of hearing you talk about that, about how no one can take it from you because you work so hard, it's very inspirational. It's going to be great for, great for our podcast listeners to to listen to. And look, I, I don't, I, I don't want to get too far back because I, I i'd like to keep this flowing you know forward but like why were you a 49ers fan are you from the bay area no no okay. i always and i i listen it's crazy because andre reed is my favorite player ever right but i always liked the 49ers um it just it just has, has been that way uh, john taylor was one of my favorite players you know jerry rice i always liked them uh joe montana um my mother was, you know, she was an Eagles fan always, but you know, she she always liked to watch the the Forty ers too. That 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 four o'clock show, uh, you know, that that who would be on, you know, on the on the second game. So it oh, just yeah. it, it just came for that man. But um, you know, don't don't get it twisted. Andre Reid, that's my favorite player ever, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, but the the Forty ers were my my favorite team at at that time. You and Byron both, man. It must have just been something about those 49ers growing up. Maybe you guys were both like in NFC cities, Dallas and Phil, D- Dallas and Philly area, a little bit contrarian, and just and just rooting for those 49ers because Byron's not not so much of a fan in, in, anymore after Jerry. You know, he just loved Jerry Rice so much, but he's got all the Jerry Rice stuff all up over his house and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, um, that's cool. Um, all right, so now covering the Tennessee Titans and when you first got the when you first got the gig what was the first order of business what's the first thing you did whenever you got to Tennessee you got your I guess you got your apartment or your lease or whatever yeah like you head up to the facility what's your what is your first order of business whenever you step foot on a on a major sporting beat like the like an NFL franchise yeah man it was crazy because I got down here July 29th and I went to work on the 30th and uh, really the first thing was, was just connecting with the PR department. That that was the key thing because when you don't know your way around a franchise, when you don't know the players, you know, you have to use them to be your liaison. Now, fortunately for me, I had already had a relationship with Mike Campanero, um, you know, from my Ravens days, right. with Coach Dean Keys as well from my Ravens days. So I had that familiarity. Uh, doing that senior bowl thing, man, you know, Taewon yeah. Taylor had that familiarity also. So that helped. But really, the main thing is just settling in. Right. And and just just making it known that that that, you know what you're talking about, making it known that that you're not one to be fooled with when it comes to the coverage, you, you know, making it known that what you do is is thorough. That's really what it came down to uh, connecting with the coaching staff, you know, connecting with the head coach. It was really awesome. The first, so it was a Monday when I started. Uh, that Saturday, they had an open practice at Nissan Stadium, and I will forever, ultimately respect John Robinson for what he did. Uh, I'm there on the field, you know, waiting for the players to come out, and he came up to me and he shook my hand. He knew me by name. He he said, "Welcome to our beat. I appreciate your work." And at that point right there, I was really like, "Yo, this is." 
this is real. Like, this no, is really going to happen, yeah. and, and, and it's on. You know what I mean? To have the GM of the team come to you, know you by name, and, and you know, like I said, I didn't go to him. He came to me, and, and I didn't have a clue who he was, to be honest with you. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And, and I'm just, you know, being, and that's that's a lesson for everyone, you know, no matter who you meet, you know, always be respectful. You know what I mean? Because I could have brushed him off like, yeah, all right, whatever, man, thanks. And here it was, I would have ruined the opportunity to have a great connection. But instead, I was respectful. I was grateful. And now there's a guy that, you know, we can, the communication is open. You know what right. I mean? Text, call, whatever, it's open. And it, that's where it, it started. So, that's really what it's about, man, establishing relationships first and foremost. That's what you have to do, even within members of the media, uh, the local media that's covering their team. Well, it's just so interesting you mentioned that because Robinson's such a crab when he's up there dealing with the media, like from the podium, right? He comes from the he comes from the Patriots way, and he just you know I just I don't I don't view him as a as a very forthcoming guy, as you know, very genial with the media. Just because my only experience has been with him has been in those formal media situations where he's just come up mm-hmm. in a he's come up in a in a. Um, in a football philosophy where you keep your, you, you keep your guard up. Right. And, and so it's, it's, it's kind of cool to know that behind the, behind the scenes, um, you know, I, I think that it, it just, he seems like he's a lot warmer and kind of cooler and, ex, and more accessible of a dude to the people who he feels like he needs to be more warm and, and, and accessible to. And I'm glad you have that kind of relationship with him. Speaking of that, it's like, do you, have you ever had tr- like, what does it kind of take the same, gene in you that you have to go to the bar and pick up girls and stuff like that does it take that same sort of gene and that same sort of courage to be able to just try to to be able to try and go around and just gain gain like sources it seems yeah. like one of the most important things when you get onto one of these beats is, is to is to pick up sources and for me like i cover the texas longhorns and i get that same feeling in my in the pit of my stomach sometimes Whenever I try walk up to a guy who could be a new source for me and try and have that discussion, it feels like you're kind of walking up to a girl at the bar back in the day in college or something like that to where, you know, you're worried about asking for their phone number, how, how, how they're going to react. How do you go about that? And do you sort of feel that same way or is that just or is this something that just comes naturally to you? Yeah, it's it's I mean, I'm not going to say it comes naturally, you know, but it goes back to the relationship building side of things and the timing you have to know when it's right to ask for somebody's phone number you know what i mean like you gotta you have to set it up correctly and 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 cultivate that relationship to where the trust is there enough for you to be able to to get that phone number now i will say this i have a a a method of making sure i get the most efficient phone number um (laughs) that that i've been able to to kind of perfect and i I learned it from you know uh, a guy who uh, actually a former teammate of mine who who manages a, a sports management company. He owns one. And, you know, he showed me the, the best way to do it. And uh, that has worked, man. Like at the combine, I can't tell you how many players, phone numbers I was able to get because of that. And even our coaches as well. And it, it's really just, just you know, you got to come across as authentic. You, you have to really, like I said, just establish the relationship. That's the key thing, man. And, you know, be able to, to set up that instant trust and, and generate that respect. You know, you have to carry yourself a certain way to where you command respect. And it goes back to what I said before about, you know, showing it that you're not one to be played with. You know, like it's not a game to you. It's, it's serious. And I think when you're able to establish that from the start, people understand that and they know to take you seriously and they know to treat you with respect and you're going to get results. 
Is there a secret sauce that you could share for the li- like? What like what is the secret sauce? Like, is there one secret thing, like one little line, or is it just a way of handling yourself? Yeah, it's just carrying yourself the right way. You know, commanding respect, commanding uh, you know, um, um, trust, and I think that's even something like in evaluations that you do or players. You know, you know, you you want to, you have to be able to know how to. Uh, you have to be able to critique a player effectively you know like there's some guys that you see them in their evaluations and they just absolutely trash a guy and it's like okay put yourself in that situation how would you react to that you, you know what i mean so it's that there's different things that you could do to even set it up because listen i don't care what you say these people they read what is written do you they know? do you, oh, i always I, I, i've always wondered it, it, like it I, seems yeah, like they they, they read they read i talked to kenny Vaccaro earlier today and, uh, you know, he was talking about how, you know, fans, how, how much it, it meant to him to, to see fans, you know, uh, show him all the support. And then he even talked to me about some things that I put on Twitter that he was thankful about. Now, granted, I had Vicaro on my show. I did a couple articles about him, too. But even, you know, just on Twitter, he, he saw different things. And, and you know, he, he one of the first things he said was, man, you called it. You, you know what I mean? I had to deal. I, I had it pegged at four years, twenty-eight million. You know what I mean. He ended up signing four years, twenty-six million. But that's one of the things he said. He said, "Man, you called it." You know what I mean. And, and this was a tweet, not a, an article. So that lets you know that, that that they read this stuff. You know, and there's other things from players that I know. You know, have, have come back to me. So I don't care if, if a guy says he doesn't read it. Trust me, he's a, aware of, of what's being written about him. And, and just one last question about sort of the process and stuff before I before I get to a couple of Titans, <laughs> Titans centric things. I'm sure people sure. love to hear about um, whenever you sort of how much direction do you take from an editor and or uh, any supervisor there in your role that's having to herd the cats of dealing with, you know, every single one of these beat writers from every single team. How much autonomy do you have over the sort of content that you'd like to write? Clearly there's going to be assignments that come through where it's an ESPN wide thing. Like I know that Mike Clay does the thing where he asks, you know, one fantasy football question from each writer that you got to send in like what, but so you, you get stuff like that. But as far as what you're going to write, how much autonomy do you have? And also, do you have quotas, to, like deadlines? Like how does – from, from your actual deliverables for ESPN, how are those expected to roll out and how much autonomy do you have over both that content and the schedule of delivery for that content? Yeah, it's an ongoing thing. I mean they, they have a minimum of, of – uh, uh, you know, a minimum post that they want you to do. But per week, but the the thing that's really great is the communication is excellent, and it, you know your editor is a text, phone call, or email away, and you're able to kind of brainstorm to come up with ideas. You know, it's the way if you think of, and I'm not saying it just because I work for the company, but if you think of the the uh, editor slash writer relationship, how it's supposed to be. You know, as far as always being open, being able to agree to disagree or being able to compromise different things. That's that's what it what it is, you know, at least in my experience with the editors that, that I've worked with so far. So it's been great. You know, um, they're open to ideas and they'll give you ideas and you really just just come to an agreement, 
you know, on, on, on what works. And even if it's something that doesn't work, sometimes they'll let you go ahead and, and, and sell your case, you know, and, and, and really uh, push for it and they'll give you a chance. And if you deliver, cool. If not, you know, it's just something that, that gets shelved for, for a moment and you bring it out at the right time. So it, it's, it's all about communication. I think that's the key and that's what's, what's happening. All right. All right. So, so very, very good, very good answer there that I'm sure your editor would, your editor would love to hear. Um, as far, all right. So as far, as far as the Titans, let's just, let's just, let's just uh, get, get to a couple questions. The most important being, especially for me, why the hell can Derrick Henry not get those kinds of touches earlier in the season? And what, what was, what was going on? Like what, what can we expect with Derrick Henry moving forward, the running back situation moving forward? I mean, Vrabel, he's a defensive-minded guy. He seems to be a dude who has been, you know, he's hes looked on to what the Patriots have, have done, probably followed along very closely and, and seen that, you know, when they have a dude who's, you know, I don't consider LeGarrette Blunt to be a lot like Derrick Henry, but when you see that that's a guy that's who can, you know, who's so big and, and so, and so physical and, you know, you see him go certain years for like 18 touchdowns and stuff like that. Whenever he sees a guy like Derrick Henry get going, like the way that he was able to get going to end last season, how is it possible to where you not want to come into the next season wanting to feed that dude? Yeah. Oh, they didn't want to feed him. That, that's for sure. Uh, Arthur Smith, the new, OC, you know, he was a tight ends coach and, and he talked about Derrick Henry being a, a great player. And he was asked about adding speed to, to the roster, you know, to playmakers. He was like, listen, man, you know, Henry had a 99 yard run. I don't know many guys who have a, a, a run <laughs> yeah. that long, a play that long, but that's explosive enough for me. And I think really what it boils down to is initially Derrick Henry was not running like himself. Uh, there were multiple times where he let a defensive back take him down. Uh, a guy that's 6'3", 250 plus, you, you're, you're not to be taken down by a, def- by a cornerback. That's not supposed to happen, right? You, you know, so that happened a few times. Watch the game against Buffalo, Trey Davis White, a guy who was a, a, a TD um coveted prospect back when he came out yeah, but yes, he, he took was. him down <laughs> yeah the, he took him down you know on the sideline um but it got to a point where it was after the Chargers game he spoke to Eddie George and Eddie George told him you know he needed to start inflicting more punishment and and, and in essence you know stop running so soft and that's when you saw the light start to click right and then in addition to that you had the whole thing with um Matt LaFleur I, I think he's he's I love his offensive line, right? Uh, I really like how he's able to set guys up, put them in position. But if there's a flaw for Matt LaFleur when he was here in Nashville is he would allow the defense to dictate what they were going to do. And, you know, that's something that you can't do as a play caller. If you have a a plan that you want to do, you do it, right? You don't let the defense tell you that they're not going to, you're not going to run the ball against them. You run the ball against them. And then even with the zone scheme, Everything when you think of zone uh, blocking scheme and the running game, think of a lock, right? Like where you have to have all the pieces fall into place and then you can unlock it, right? All the letters or all the numbers fall into mm-hmm. place on the combination and then it opens up. It's like synchronized swimming, right? So everything has to be in sync. And initially it wasn't. But then you started to see them stick to the running game. You start to see Derrick Henry get more than, than, than 12 carries a game. 
and then the results started to show, right? So now they're, they're not always behind the change. You know, they're, they're able to run the football effectively on first down and then do what they need to do on third down and then on second down and then run it on third or whatever. You always put yourself in situations where running the football is going to work in your favor. And that's when you start to see the offensive linemen fire off the ball. And you see teams, you look at the Jaguars, you look at the Giants, you, you look at the Redskins even. These are all teams that just, like, in those games, they started to really, uh, I mean, I, I, you don't want to say it, but they basically gave up. You saw their will being defeated, yep. right? Yep. Now, moving forward, you know, everybody's talking about Humphreys, which was a great signing. Resigning Vaccaro was was awesome. Cameron Wake, you know, is an interesting deal. He'll come in and be a veteran to help. But Roger Saffield is the biggest signing the Titans made in the last two years. And he is a guy that's going to come in. I asked him about firing off the football and how he's going to help this team live up to that that physical style of play that, that Mike Vrabel wants. And he told me, he said he loves playing aggressively. He said there's nothing more gratifying than moving a man against his will. You go back and you watch the tape. <laughs> It, it, what he does matches it, and then you put Derek Henry behind that. You put him next to uh, uh, Taylor Lewan. That's that's trouble for opposing defenses. Well, and it's so funny what you said. I love what you said, uh, Teron, about the um, about thinking about zone blocking, sort of like a combination lock, and you get it all right, then that thing gets unlocked. You find the zone lane, you scramble up it. The one thing that can kill that goddamn thing, like you said, the one number being off, it what it what it is, it's upfield penetration uh, up the up, up the up the play side guard's shoulder from from the three technique. If they can't get the if they can't get a three hand technique on that three right but between the guard and the and and the tackle and he gets upfield penetration it just it screws up the zone lanes whether it's inside zone or outside zone and for a guy like Derrick Henry who might lack a small bit of lateral agility that kind of stuff at the very beginning of the play is going to really screw it up and so I I really do you know no no upfield penetration up the play side shoulder from that uh, play side guard is something that's going to help a guy like Henry immensely. My only question is, Deion Lewis is still on contract. Is there some sort of organizational, um, uh, I don't it, like some sort of uh, organizational commitment to make sure that Deion Lewis gets the ball a certain amount of times per game? Or do you think it could be something where it's like, look, if we get down behind, um, you know, we might need to pass the ball a little bit more to like kind of, you know, passing down sort of back more of a, more of a game script situation where we could see Deion Lewis. Do you think he's going to be forced in regardless of game script, or do you think that he's going to be used a little bit more appropriately situationally? Yeah, I think he's going to be used more appropriately from a situational standpoint. And, you know, let's not forget the league's about matchups, right? So you could get him coming out the backfield, running those jerk routes or choice routes against a, uh, a linebacker on, on third and seven, and he makes that, you know, 10-yard gain and the right. chains start moving. Because what's going to end up happening, like you, you could – have Humphreys in the slot and and, and uh, Deion Lewis coming out of the backfield. Like that's it's tough to match up with that, you, you know. So it's going to help them that way. And then you got other matchups, Delaney Walker, Janu, etc. But I really think that he's going to be a, a key to them in the matchup game. And and when they're in that situation where you know they, they get me out of trouble, 
uh, kind of down where you're behind the chains and, and, and you need to get back into a more manageable situation on third down, going to him out of the backfield or even on a screen pass, it really opens things up, man. So that, it, he'll, he'll be used for sure. And I, I think when you see a, a guy like him, and don't get it twisted, he can run between the tackles too. You know, I, I don't care that we've he's seen a, it. Yeah, we've yeah, seen it in spots here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he'll he'll be used effectively. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Just all the packages and options that they'll be able to do. I mean, it's it, yeah, it's it's going to be a fun team to cover. I, I'll say that for sure. And I love the heart that that little guy has, man. He's a feisty little dude. You know, don't call him a little and, dude to his face, man. He might not. It, he might try to punch your nose in, man. I I have, and I, I've done. You know, I got to the point where I can joke with him dude? about oh, that. God. Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell him, like you know, you're not the biggest guy, but you play with a lot of heart, man. As a little dude, how are you able to man up? against these guys that are bigger and you know he'll smile about it but then you get to see like he shows his teeth you know what yeah, i mean and right, right, you yeah. get that that passion from him so yeah it's cool so i think that the i have two other main questions but i just have a couple of couple of just a couple of quick side questions one is all right tay one taylor how do you i mean has the ship sailed on this guy? We loved him so much from the Senior Bowl. Um, now that you have Adam Humphreys coming in, I know Taewon Taylor ran a lot of routes out of the slot last year. I think he's better than Taj. I, I don't think. I, I mean, he's better than Tajay Sharp, right? You see these guys in practice all the time. I, you know, they're two different receivers. I tell you what's crazy. Tajay emerged as that third down guy. He emerged as that reliable uh, pass catcher for Mariota, and, and he was actually one of his favorite guys to throw to. There was a stretch where he had 16 catches, 14 of them were four first downs, you know, but then he had the injury in the Cowboys game. I tell you one, I think is going to be fine. He has settled in as a deep guy running, the, you know, out of the, uh, you know, lined up out wide. They really do a really uh, a good job of, of using all the attention that goes to Corey Davis to, to get Taewon open. It's just a matter of him staying healthy. He had turf toe last year. You know, the, the reports kept saying it was foot, I talked, I remember we were standing at his locker and we were going over, you know, sticking the, your, your, your foot in the ground and, and, and driving off of it and how he couldn't do that. You know what I mean? Because he had the turf toe. It's, it's a bigger injury than, than people think, you know, when you talk oh, about turf. Yeah. yeah. You're robbed of explosion. So that didn't help him. But then also, I think the groups, the receivers coming into the league, you know, since 2014, uh, you know, where you, you have guys like Odell. You have guys like, you know, um, Mike Evans, I mean, so Mike Sammy Watkins, who's a monster class. Saw instant success. And even Mari Cooper, you know, Kelvin he had, even saw instant success. Yeah, right. So you get caught up in this mindset that, you know what? A, a receiver supposed to come in the league and just automatically be that dude. It doesn't work that way. You, you know, receiver is one of the toughest positions to be able to, uh, you know, transition into the NFL. It takes some time. And that's all it's taken with with uh, uh, Taewon Taylor. And, I mean, you've seen it in the past. I'll mention three guys, Demarius Thomas, Jordy Nelson, and Nelson Aguilar. All three of those guys really didn't come into their own until year three. Guess what and year this is for, for, for Corey? And what, and what year is it for Corey Davis? Well, I mean, what can, year three for Corey, too. What, what can we expect, man? Because, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm alone in saying that thus far his – I mean, I know that he's been hampered by injuries – but it just seems like, boy, I mean, we, we have a largely fantasy audience. You know, fantasy players find that guy hard to trust. Mm-hmm. What, what have you seen out of Corey Davis? 
Um, do do you think he can ever make the step to be able to live up to that? You know, I mean, what was he a top eight pick? Top five? Well, I forgot. I, I, I forgot what that pick was. It was a it was a big it, in, in my opinion a big time gamble considering the fact that he couldn't work out through the whole process. Remember he had the was it a foot or something? He couldn't even have a pro day. So we've we've never gotten a, we've we've never gotten any of the any of the explosive measurables on Corey Davis. What we do have is some of the awesomest tape we've ever seen exactly. at the college level, and we've seen incredible and I mean incredible. Um, flashes at the pro level. I mean, that dude sat down. The what's his name for the for the uh, he sat down and called this dude's son, man. For the for the uh, for the Patriots that was there. Yeah. Who, who was it? Yeah. Gil, Gilmore this year. Bob like, yeah. yeah, like th- that was one of his more probably one of the probably. I mean, for me and you, and you would know better than me. Probably the most impressive overall game that I've seen out of Corey Davis thus far. Are we going to see that dude eventually break out and? Can we continue holding on hope for him if we own him in dynasty leagues? Yeah, I think eventually he's going to break out. And listen, before the whole Derrick Henry stretch, he was the guy that was on pace to be a thousand yard receiver. You, you know what I'm saying? But they re retooled things and went so run heavy. I think he was hampered by a, a few things. And, and you mentioned the Gilmore game. That's an example of if you make an effort to get him involved and, and you know, early and, and get him the football consistently, he will produce for you. But it's just a matter of getting him the football. I think this year he really showed himself in ways that, uh, you know, it may not always match fantasy football, but it matches football that, that you know, is is watched as uh, not box score, you know, analyzed and you saw him run really good routes you saw him become more detailed as a route runner you saw him be able to command the the coverage you know from the opposing team and that opened other things up and then what no one is talking about and i was so glad mike vrabel talked about it at the combine and the side scrum with us our local guys is you saw him as the number one receiver still be the team's best blocker go back and watch that run Hmm by Derrick Henry, that 99-yard run. You're going to see number 84 flash into the screen, and he almost got, and I joked with him about the game, after the game about this, but he almost got stiff-armed by, by Henry because, you know, he he jumped into the into the screen, into the <laughs> vision, and he ended up with, a, you know, helping uh, set up the, the final part of that run. So that effort right there, that that's what you want, and it may not be the fantasy output that 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 you want but when they use him and they focus on him he'll give you the numbers yeah and and but i mean and the thing that and i'll get you out on 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 this one Teron, because i know we're kind of running behind uh, i think a lot of people whenever they think about Corey davis what they think about most about what could be bringing him down is I mean, if we're being honest, man, it's been you know it's been the play of Mariota. He's this. I mean, this year it was um, clearly um, an issue where he couldn't feel his elbow. You know, where he couldn't or what well, he couldn't feel his hand. He hurt his elbow. Like things have felt like with Marcus Mariota, it's always like one step forward, two steps back, and he always seems to be some sort of victim of circumstance. What have you seen out of that guy? We know that he uh, as, as a prospect coming out just unbelievable you know like you've been there a year now what do you take away from this first year in Tennessee 
having seen Marcus Mariota and as far as, you know, moving forward into the future, is he a quarterback that we could trust to, to, to get these wide receivers like the Corey Davises, like the Taewon Taylors and like the Adam Humphreys, uh, their, their statistical production? The main thing with Marcus Mariota is he he sees it, right? But he has to believe it and let it rip. And that's really the main thing. Um, he'll see a guy open, but he has to believe that that, that guy's open and be willing to, to really fit that ball in that tight spot when, when it's called for. And if you notice... He's at his best in the fourth quarter. Like when when every, when all the chips are on the table, that's when he's at his best. And so many people struggle to understand why he's at his best then. I'll tell you, it's because there's no time for hesitation. There's no time for questioning it. You got to go out and just do your thing. There is no doubting the talent that Mariota has. But it's really, it comes down to his willingness to act upon that talent and, and, and put it to use instantly. It's just like it, Ross Tucker had a great analogy a long time ago talking about a pitcher, right? And, you know, it's just like a pitcher and, and the catcher uh, uh, make the call and, and he'll sit there and, you know, he'll, he'll have a flash to one for the fastball and the, the, the guy, the pitcher, he'll shake it off. But then, it, you know, you flash the two for the split finger or whatever, and he'll be convinced that that's the pitch and he'll accept it, wind up and throw it. And he throws it with more velocity because he knows that's the pitch. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing. You can't have any hesitation in, in, in understanding that, you, you know, it's there. Just take advantage of it. And I think that's the biggest thing with Mariota. Obviously healthy, you, you know, he needs to, to get his health in order and make sure that he could be, be healthy. But you know, when he is able to play, the big thing, you got to see it, believe it. Let it rip. And ironically, that's something that I talked to Mike Rabel about. And he said, you know, just let it rip. You know, let your physical ability, your God-given talent, let that take over and let that be on display. And that's really the bottom line with Mariota. He just has to let it go, man. That's the main thing. He's been conditioned to be so safe with the football, you know, a lot like Alex Smith in that way. But, you know, you saw Alex Smith two years ago with the Chiefs when all that was pushed aside. He had a monstrous season, and that's what Mariota has to do. Push your your safe part of our football play aside. I'm not saying, you know, throw 15 interceptions. What I am saying is is be willing to take that chance, take that shot, and, and fit it into places you have no business doing, but you're capable of doing it. 